Hi, my name is Pete Redden, and welcome to The Way I Taught It, Next Level Aviation Knowledge in Microbursts. Happy New Year, 2023. I'd like to take a moment to make a quick pitch for Veterans Community Project, or VCP. They are a nonprofit dedicated to supporting every man and woman who took the oath for this country. They are determined to make a difference in the lives of homeless veterans, a task accomplished by the community for the community. And as a veteran, I'm very proud to support this organization. Veterans Community Project, VCP. Check them out. You can find them on Facebook, LinkedIn, or at veteranscommunityproject.org. On with today's discussion, can I get paid for this? So in 2023, I'm going to go a little bit more towards conversational and get a further away from uh, any kind of instructional type discussion. I, I think the conversational you're going to learn more will cover uh, topics in the ACS uh, from more of an informal discussion uh, than a formal uh, discussion, just from the standpoint uh, to make it easier to listening while you guys are driving to work or hanging out. Hopefully we'll have some more folks on guests for the podcast. I'm trying to line things up like that. If you have any ideas, share them on our Facebook page or send them to me at vaporglobalaviation at gmail.com and we'll try and get them on the podcast. So today, can I get paid for this? I want to start a national conversation, a discussion between learners and flight instructors, between flight schools and their clients on the subject of commercial pilot certificate and what can you get paid for with just a commercial pilot certificate. I instruct many people for commercial pilot. I instruct private pilot instrument, upset recovery training, aerobatics, multi-engine, single engine. And we all seem to find a way to not know what we can do with a commercial pilot certificate. I don't know if it's out of fear. I don't know if it's out of ignorance. But let's start the conversation and figure out what we can do with a commercial pilot certificate. Again, it's a discussion, not instruction. It's to generate and motivate a discussion amongst all of us so that we can have the opportunity to succeed not only on our check rides, but in the business of aviation itself. This is the crux of the commercial pilot exam. And you'll be a very poor or possibly jailed pilot if you do not understand the rules. So let's discuss here amongst all the CFIs and learners across the country. Again, this is not instructional, this is conversational. Please leave your comments on the way I taught at Facebook page. Let's get the conversation going. So as a brand new commercial pilot, you begin to ask yourself, can I get paid for this? This is a valid and necessary question and the legality seem to become very confusing. First off, always, always, always contact the FISDO with enough lead time to get an answer prior to executing any four higher operations if you have any questions on the legality of the operation. Second, you can research FAA legal interpretations to find out if the answer has already been given to your question. You can find those on the internet at the FAA.gov website. Finally, the FAA produced a video presentation about safe air charters called Safe Air Charter Workshop for Designated Pilot Examiners. And you can go to www.faa.gov charter. You can go on YouTube and search for Safe Air Charter Workshop for Designated Pilot Examiners, and you can watch that for yourself. I'll also place the link in the description block of the podcast, or you can, again, Google it. Unfortunately, 
it was a bit scripted and it really doesn't address what you can do with just a commercial pilot certificate. It was really focused more on the safe air charter piece. We will assume that in all cases today, you are current and qualified in the aircraft that you will be flying as a commercial pilot certificate holder and only as a commercial pilot certificate holder. We always tend to start this topic with a discussion on private or common carriage. And that's not always the best place to start as we are skipping a very important piece of the puzzle. We need to begin with wet lease versus dry lease. What are the definitions? It is very straightforward and has a lot to do with a laundry list of questions to determine who has operational control, which can be boiled down to three basic items who provides the flight crew, the fuel, and the maintenance for the aircraft involved. If the same entity or organization is providing all three, it is absolutely a wet lease and falls under the requirements of Part 191.1 and subsequent follow-on regulations in 91, 121, 125, and 135. If the crew is absent from the lease agreement, then it is known as a dry lease. Now, before you run off and sign a bunch of dry leases, we must reference 91.23, AC 91-3B, and the FAA's General Aviation Dry Leasing Guide to ensure truth in leasing agreements. Part 119.1 applies to two specific scenarios. The first is persons operating or intending to operate civil aircraft as an air carrier or commercial operator or both in air commerce, or second, persons operating or intending to operate civil aircraft when common carriage is not involved in operations of U.S. registered civil airplanes with a seat configuration of 20 or more passengers or a maximum payload capacity of 6,000 pounds or more. So if the airplane has less than 20 passenger seats and a payload capacity less than 6,000 pounds and common carriage is not involved, 119.1 does not apply. You have to move to 119.3 paragraph B, which does drive you to part 135 operations and the exceptions found under 91.501. We'll discuss this later. So basically, if you're over 20 passengers and you're over 6,000 pounds, you're going to move out of 119.1. If you're under 20 passengers, under 6,000 pounds, you can move into the exceptions of 119.1. But once you go through those exceptions, if you don't meet the exceptions, now you're pushed into part 135, you're pushed into 91.501, and you're also pushed into part 125. And so you should have a basic understanding of how this all flows out of 119.1. Once we get past the wet or dry lease, we can then discuss common or private carriage. One misconception is that private carriage does not require an operating certificate. It actually does require one, and you find that under 119.23. Now we can discuss common versus private carriage, holding out, number of contracts, and whether you are Part 91, 135, 121 operator under a wet lease. And this is all defined basically under AC 120-12A. There are four elements defining a common carrier. A holding out or a willingness to transport persons or property from place to place for compensation. This holding out or advertising to carry anybody, which makes a person a common carrier, can be done in many ways and it does not matter how it's done. Careful, advertising can be unintentional and still drive you into the common carrier column. Word of mouth can be advertising. If you're pushing, tell them about me or pass my name along. If you're pushing that, you can be advertising. 
The advertising piece by itself does not make you a common carrier or a non-common carrier. It's one of four pieces that all have to come together. Carriage for hire, which does not involve holding out, is private carriage. That's holding out is the easiest one to pull out of that four to go, okay, I'm, I'm not a common carrier. Private carriage for hire is carriage for one or several select customers. Notice we said select customers, generally on a long-term basis, and the operating certificate holder has less than, depending on where you read AC 120-12A, three to 18 contracts. If you read AC 120-12A, in one place, it says greater than three contracts, you're a private carrier, and then greater than 18 contracts, you're a common carrier. But it depends on the type of contract and how often you execute that contract. Uh, so you have to be very careful there. Again, you got to go back to the FISDO uh, and get a feel for where you stand in regards to operating certificates. So let's talk a little bit more about dry lease. A dry lease will operate under Part 91 if under 20 seats and under 6,000 pounds payload capacity and comply with the exemptions of 91.501. So what are those uh, exceptions? And you're going to hear me clicking in the background uh, just so I can get those. Uh, 91.501 operations that may be conducted under the rules of this subpart instead of those under part 121, 129, 135, and 137 of the chapter when common carriage is not involved. It's going to sound very familiar, almost like Part 119.1 exceptions with a few extra added in there. So ferry flights, aerial work, uh, flights to demonstrate aircraft for sale. If you're operating uh, for personal transportation, uh, carriage of officials, of organizations, employees, and guests of that organization, so and nobody's charged. Carriage of property as long as nobody's charged. The carriage of athletic team as long as nobody's charged and the carriage of persons uh, operating in further of a business for selling land, goods, property, franchise, distributorships. And the, and the big thing there is that there is an organizational piece that is paying for these people to move. The people themselves are not being, are not being charged or not paying on an individual basis to have you move them uh, in an airplane. So that's 91501. So the bottom line on all this, are the individual people on board the separately procured aircraft individually paying their way for the sole purpose of transportation? That would be bad. Or is someone or something else, an organization, paying to move people for a common purpose with no charge to the passengers? The first one, you're part 121 or 135. And the second portion, you are under a dry lease and you are not 121 or 135. So can I get paid for this? I'm going to say it three times. Contracts, contracts, contracts. It must be spelled out in writing what you are doing with absolute specifics down to the names of the people flying on board. If you don't have a contract written out, you're going to get in trouble. If it's a wet lease, you must be hired, trained, and employed by a Part 121, 125, or 135 operating certificate holder. If it is a true dry lease and the flight is incidental to business or common purpose of all on board and you do not legally assume operational control as we discussed at the very beginning and you are not legally holding out and the aircraft is under 20 passenger seats and the maximum payload is under 6,000 pounds, you can fly the aircraft and get paid for providing piloting services as long as you are current and qualified to operate that aircraft. 
plus all the other exceptions under 119.1 that require training, currency, and qualification. Some examples. In all cases, you are not a Part 121, 125, or 135 operator. Scenario 1. An aircraft owner asks you to help him fly his less than 20-seat, less than 6,000-pound maximum payload personal aircraft with him and his family aboard to Destination X. He says he will pay you $1,000. Sure you can. It is effectively a dry lease, and the aircraft owner is paying you, not the passengers. Be careful. If the owner then goes before or back after the flight and collects money from those others, that's a foul. You've just crossed over into common carriage. Also, having more than three contracts in a scenario may drive you to a private carriage scenario. So make sure that you have the contract written. Make sure you understand who is paying you. Make sure that they understand that they can't go back and collect monies from other people. And make it very clear how this all works so that if for some reason this ends up at the FISDO level or in a court of law, you can exempt yourself from those court proceedings because you have everything in line as the pilot. Scenario two, someone walks up to you and says, I want to fly, I want you to fly me and my family in your airplane to destination X and I will pay you Y amount. The only way you can say yes is if you have or are employed by someone with an operating certificate of some sort. In this scenario, since we don't have 121, 135, 125 operating certificates, the answer is no. Scenario three, you're a warbird owner and want to train individuals on how to fly that specific warbird. Let's say it's a bomber. Let's say it has 10 seats. Let's say its max gross weight is 65,000 pounds. So you're good, right? Then you read it has a payload capacity of 9,600 pounds. Cue the scary music. Dun, dun, dun. This does not fall under the exceptions of CFR 119.1 due to the payload. This is now defined at minimum private carriage. If you are advertising and willing to carry anyone, then it becomes common carriage. Bottom line, as a commercial pilot, if you are more focused on your skills, your flying skills, than your regulatory knowledge, well, we're doing it wrong. The flying is basically private pilot plus additional advanced maneuvers. The knowledge portion is all of your private pilot knowledge plus the addition of high altitude and commercial operations. As a learner, it is up to you and your instructor to cover this cornucopia of knowledge, specifically what you can do as a commercial pilot, so that way you can actually make a dollar as a commercial pilot instead of being broke or poor. Source documents covered, AC 12012A, CFR 119, CFR 125, CFR 135, CFR 121, and CFR 91.54. Again, I'm Pete Redden, and that's another episode of The Way I Taught It. Thank you for finding this podcast worthy of inclusion in your study of aviation. Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If not, please leave feedback on how I can improve this podcast and associated less than five-star review. Until next time, fly safe, fly smart, make a buck. That's The Way I Taught It.